led to talk about intimacy with Christ and growing in that communion prayer with the Father. Because I think it's a season where the Lord is taking us deeper into that place, into the place of the Holy of Holies. And it was in January in the middle of worship here one morning. I just I just had this glimpse of the Holy of Holies and this invitation. Yeah. The Lord inviting us into that place of the Holy of Holies. And have you ever heard the Lord give instruction, but not only was it instruction, I felt like I heard the heartbeat of the Father. Like the passionate cry of a dad saying, there's so many of my children who actually don't know that they have access to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. And it's like he's calling us back to that place, into that place in a deeper realm. Uh -huh. Calling the children back to the Father's. As I began to ponder that invitation to come into the Holy of Holies in the days after, I began actually thinking of the Holy of Holies in Scripture. And we've talked about this before in the past, past years. The Holy of Holies, it was the innermost part of the temple. And only one person a year, the high priest, could go into that place, the place where the, the dwelling presence of God was. And I want you to think about the significance of the Holy of Holies. Think about the fact that only one person a year could enter that place and they had to go through specific rituals of cleansing themselves, lighting incense so that the smoke filled the room so that if their eyes, because their eyes could not look upon God or else they would die. Do you get the impact of that place? The dwelling presence of God in that place. Yes. And then when Christ died, he gave up his spirit. And what happened? The veil was torn in two. That was the doorway into the Holy of Holies. There was all of a sudden an opening into the Holy of Holies. God was bringing about a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality that had just taken place, that had just shaken the world. And I love to imagine myself in the time of scripture. So I began imagining myself at the time when Christ had died. Now typically, only a priest would have been able to enter that place to actually see the evidence of the torn veil. I would not have been allowed to go in. Although there was a shift that happened in the spirit realm, so actually spiritually speaking, I would have been allowed. And so I want, to, I want you to step into that place, imagine that you were there in the city of Jerusalem, and you hear reports that the, tail, the veil has been torn in two. So you want to go check it out for yourself. And your heart quickens as you approach the temple, and all the murmuring that's going on, it dissipates into silent awe, as they behold what has actually been happened. It would be so hard to actually comprehend as a person of that time what has just taken place. You couldn't even fathom what God was trying to communicate. You see, it wasn't man that tore the temple, it was God. Yeah. And it came with a message yes. to his family, to his church, that you now have entry to me. Yes. You now have access to me. History has suddenly shifted indeed. Yes. And now nothing stands in the way 
Nothing stands in the way for a child of the king to be able to enter into that place. To be able to bring the fear of the day. To be able to bring the struggles of your heart to the throne of Papa God. Yes. And to meet him. Hebrews 10, 19 to 20. We can enter the Holy of Holies with confidence. This is what Hebrews says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the Father wants more than just a few to recognize that they have access, unhindered access. God talks often in Scripture that he wants us to know him. Does anybody know what the Hebrew word for know is? Nathaniel's shaking his head. <laughs> it's the word yada, Y-A-D-A. And the word yada means I'm not just going to intellectually know who God is. There's an experiential knowledge. So it incorporates experientially coming to know God. Yeah. You see, when you're worried about your finances, he wants you to know him as your provider. Did you know that I can only know grace when I've acknowledged my sin? Yeah. And in our culture of busy distractions, we have to be intentional about setting our heart to seek the Father more than anything else in this world. What's the first and greatest commandment we see in Matthew? Love the Lord, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, yes, Cliff, you got it right. <laughs> and with all your mind. <laughs> you pass. <laughs> you know, we could be in prayer for Cliff because he's sort of taking grief. Oh. So, <laughs> so pray that he does well. <laughs> now I gotta finish. Now you gotta finish it. <laughs> Sorry, Cliff. <laughs> um, but you know, we have to purposefully respond to the nudges of the Spirit to come awake with him. We have to be intentional about applying the truth to our lives to know freedom. We have to remain in prayer so that we're not weakened by temptation and get sidetracked by what the world has to offer us. I've been meditating in, in Psalms a lot recently, as our Bible study is doing some Psalms, and these verses just leapt off the page at me a few weeks ago, and I've been reading them over and over. Psalm 73, verse 25 to 26. It says, Who have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do those words ring true for you today? Do you want them to ring true for you? You know, there's different spiritual disciplines that will help us to grow as image bearers, help us to grow as being an ambassador for Christ. And two of those disciplines that I think are completely linked and really shouldn't be separated is prayer and
and reading the word. Yeah. And just like as Ed shared today, I love that. Pray the word. <laughs> Put it together. Prayers that are saturated in the promises of God oh, based amen. upon the truth of who he yes. is are going yes. to be powerful and effective. Oh, yes. 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 So as we talk about prayer today, I'm not going to talk about different kinds of prayer. We're talking about it in the sense of that place of the secret quiet place, the closet in your home where you come and you just commune with the Father. And you know, when we talk about spiritual discipline, sometimes we don't like that word disciplined. We want it to be spirit-led. And somehow if I say I have to discipline myself, it rules out being spirit-led. But you know what? There, it actually requires discipline. Yes. It really does. Imagine a broken marital relationship where both parties want restoration, yet they're unwilling to discipline themselves to take the time to actually come together to restore what's been broken. If they actually don't set aside time, prioritize time to come together, it's not going to heal. Any relationship that has any where you want any kind of growth, it has to come together. And so it, we need to set aside that time to come into the secret place with the Father. We must make room for what we value. It's a hard pill to swallow, but if I have not consciously made room to commune with him, to linger long enough in the secret place to hear his counsel, to hear his heart for my day, that it really reveals what I value. You know, as I was writing that down, sometimes when I'm writing, things will just flow out and I haven't really pre-thought them. And so then I get convicted as I'm writing. And so I wrote that out, that I make room for what I value. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I thought of my grandkids. And there's sometimes when I'm so busy that I don't make time for my grandkids. And I have a friend who passed away last year, a 92-year-old woman who I go visit regularly in Vancouver. And the last thing she said to me, I was rubbing her head and giving her a kiss on the forehead, and she grabbed my face, and she held in my hands, and she said, Gretchen, I know the Lord's going to use you to travel the world and speak, but don't forget your grandbabies. They need you. They need you. And so when I read this, it was like, if I don't go a week without seeing my grandbabies, like, what do I really value? Do I really value them to spend that time? You see, we can fill up our life with so many good things. But what am I going to remove so that I can face what I really want to value, what I really value? Last fall, I couldn't get Enoch out of my mind. Enoch is a man in the, in the Old Testament. And it's kind of funny because there's not much said of Enoch to occupy my mind. <laughs> It's not like Joseph, where you could spend weeks looking at the life of Joseph. But Enoch kept coming back, coming back. He was considered a man who walked with God. He was a man who pleased God. Those are the two things we know about him. And all of the things that we could say that we've done with our lives. I've accomplished this, I've accomplished that. You know, when I get to my deathbed, I would love on my tombstone for it to say she walked with God. That's good. Oh, yes. I want that more than anything, that I walked with God. Yes. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. 
It says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows, yada, me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And what do we see is eternal life from John 17.3. This is eternal life that we know yes. him. Yes. That we know him. And we don't have to wait for eternity to actually come to know him. When I pray for my three adult children and my three grandchildren, more than praying about what they're going to do with their lives, I pray that they will know God, that they will experience him. This last family day, this isn't typical for a family, but in the morning I was crying with one son, and in the evening as a family we're crying with the, older, with the younger son. And I remember saying to my older son, who I was talking with in the morning, because they're both just going through changes and some difficulties, and I said to my, my oldest son, you know, everything in a mother's heart would like to protect you from the pain yeah. you're going through. Yeah. But I said to him, I know that it is these opportunities that will lead you to know your Father God. So I will not remove that opportunity from you by stepping in. You see, we, that's how we come yeah. to know the Lord. It's through those seasons, through those times. When I was a young mom, I would... My message is very segmented today. There's <laughs> a flow, but we're not Fantastic on one. Fantastically segmented. But when I was a young mom, I would read biographies on prayer warriors. And I remember feeling so guilty that I was not one who could get up at 4 a.m. and pray for three hours before the beginning of my day. Right. Would, <laughs> I would just read those books and be overcome with guilt. Yeah, yeah. And you know, my daughter, when she, after she graduated, she went to the International House of Prayer for six months and did an internship. And so as well as learning Bible classes in the day, she had a six-hour prayer session in the evenings in the prayer room. That was her shift. But, you know, seasons change. That was good for her then. Then she comes home, gets married, has three babies, a three-year-old, two-year-old, and now a seven-month-old. She's no longer getting up in the night to pray. She's getting up to change diapers yeah. and pee beds. And so when... You feel the guilt that you can't live up to the super saints. Let it go. Yeah. Yes. But you know what? If you feel the conviction of the Lord calling you into the secret place, yeah. heed the conviction and follow. Because it will be the greatest thing you ever do with your life. In the new year, I had spoken from John chapter 15. But there are a few, past, few verses in that passage that... I couldn't highlight, and they were on prayer. So John 15, verse 7 to 8. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You see, for part of the fruit that we are to bear is answered prayer. Answer prayer is to be a common reality for the children of God. It's not supposed to be a one-off. That's right. Imagine living in such a place of intimacy with the Father. 
where your mind is saturated with the truth, where you are soaking in his presence on a regular basis, that when you begin to pray, the longings of the Father's heart is what comes out in your prayers, and those prayers are answered. Heaven comes to earth because he has your attentive ear. Because you hear what is on his heart. And you pray it into fruition. I started this year determined to read more books. I used to read them all the time. I read and read. And I would use books as a way to mentor myself. And so as life got busier, that's one thing I put aside. But I'm like, I'm going to read more books. So I bought Timothy Keller's book on prayer. And he said something that I had never thought about before. He talked about Christ's unanswered prayer when he was in the garden. And the Lord was asking for the cup to be taken away. Although he was still said, not my will, but your will. Mm -hmm. But his prayer for the cup to be taken away was unanswered. And then he's on the cross saying, oh God. And yet he was forsaken. And Timothy Keller says this, Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception that he merits. That is why when Christians pray, they have the confidence that they will be heard by God and answered in the wisest way. And then he goes on to say, for Jesus, the heavens were as brass. He got the silence so that we could have the confidence that God hears and answers. And I never thought about that before. Christ took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness. But I had never thought about how he took on the silence of God so that we could have the communion with God. Oh, that that the Father would gain greater glory because his children grow in their knowledge and understanding that he longs to answer prayer. I'm going to quickly go over four points that are going to help us to grow in intimacy. You see, first, intimacy requires a proper knowledge of God. Point one, it requires a proper knowledge of God. We live out what we believe. Are we worshiping a God of our own making or the God of the Bible? Have I allowed my experiences to determine the truth of who he is? Or am I living according to the truth of the word? You know, there are times where my response to situations, when I step back and look, If I'm reacting in worry or fear, I look back and I go, Gretchen, you're acting like you don't even believe there's a God. Who do I believe God to be? If I believe he's a God of justice, I won't seek to take revenge. Our greatest battle is going to be to believe that God is who he says he is. That will be your greatest battle. The more that you grow in knowing God with your mind and with your heart, the more that you will become unshakable. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 to 5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, listen to this, raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, a stronghold sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Amen. Amen. See, the enemy doesn't want you to know God. 
Because knowing God is what's going to set you free. Yes. That's it. And he tries to stop you from knowing God. And in fact, I actually feel, I don't know if anyone else is feeling that, I feel a low over here a little bit this morning because I feel like there's this truth. Actually, can I just, I'm just going to pray for a moment. Holy yeah. Spirit, we yes. just ask yes, Father. that you will penetrate our heart and our yes. mind to know Father. you in fuller ways. Yes. And wherever the enemy is trying to block us coming into that place of knowing you greater, that that would be stopped in Jesus' name, That's that right. you would lead each one of us in our journey to know you more. Yes. Amen. 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 Praise God. Let her win. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been praying all week that our number one pursuit in life at this church, our number one pursuit would be to know God. You know, when I was actually convicted this week, it's like he said, you know, we're in a culture of learning about our identity that's been huge in the last yeah. number of years in the Christian circle. I don't know if it's globally, but there's a lot of it. Yeah. But I felt like the Lord said to me, if you put more energy, more desire, and more effort into knowing who you are versus knowing who I am, you are missed the mark. Yeah. We can so easily go off the rails. You see, when we know who he is, we're going to know who we are. That will be That's a byproduct. Right. That's right. And so there needs to be a coming in line with, I'm focused on knowing God and God alone. Excellent. And we will come into knowing who we are because we'll know who our daddy is. So we must have a proper knowledge of God. Number two, intimacy requires authenticity and humility. How likely are you to bear your soul before the Lord? Can you allow the secrets of your heart to be laid bare before him? Can you lament like the psalmist lament? Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have you had that grace encounter, encounter that allows you to come just as you are into the Holy of Holies? Have you experienced those moments when the closer you get to his glory, the more you are exposed? The more your heart is laid bare like Isaiah when he beheld the glory of the Lord. Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. His glory humbles us. It causes us to see how far from holiness we really are. Yes. But what happened after Isaiah had come face to face with the uncleanliness of his lips? I forgot to add this verse. I don't know if the verse has been coming along, but I forgot to add this one, so you'll just have to listen. Isaiah 6, verse 5 to 7. He says, Woe to me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now listen to this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, 
having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. You see, we don't have to fear coming into the presence of the Lord. We don't have to fear allowing him to expose the cobwebs of our heart because he's going to take an altar from the coal and heal you. He's going to set you free and deliver you. We don't have to fear. He's going to set you free. There are some of you here today that need to know that he can set you free. Is there anything that I fear being exposed in my life that hinders me from coming into the throne room? Does shame still linger? Does pride still tell me that I have to be perfect in order to be loved? You see, humility will bring us into that grace encounter. When I was praying this morning, I had this picture that there's some in the body of Christ, they're like flowers that are still, they're like a bud. There's color, they're no longer a seedling. There's a bit of fragrance. And I felt like the Lord was saying, I'm bringing the spring rains. He wants those buds to open in full honesty and full vulnerability before his presence so that the spring rains can pour over and wash and cleanse. And bring back that place of intimacy. Are we afraid to live authentically? You know, I think about the words from Bethel. Who will have a healing ministry. A house of healing. I can't remember exactly what it was. For that to happen, there has to be authentic living. So are we going to prepare ourselves We have to prepare for what we're actually praying for. It's a season to fully engage. He's about to bring the spring rains and let him refresh you. Number three, intimacy requires obedience. Luke 11, it's 28, says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I've come to learn that obedience is so essential to remaining in fellowship with the Father, to be able to hear from Him. He's our model. The Lord was in complete union. He completely obeyed everything the Father told Him to do. And He's our model to follow. There have been three times in my life that I've had significant, uh, where the Lord had asked me to either stop working, actually they were all stop working in a ministry. And all three times, there were ministries that I loved, that I had fully invested into, that I had been doing for a number of years. But it was like the season was changing. And so he would say to me, it's time that you need to stop doing this. And it would make no sense to me. And I would go to the leaders and tell them, and they would say, you're hearing wrong. And I'd be like, but I think he's saying this to me. And so I would step out of different ministries. And within a few months, it became very clear why the Lord asked me to stop doing those ministries. And actually, one of them is what ended me up here. 
And if I hadn't listened, if I hadn't obeyed to when he said, the season is shifting, stop what you're doing because I actually have something else for you. If I did not obey, I don't know. Well, maybe I could still have been here. But that was one of those things was moving into a new realm. And so even when it doesn't make sense to us, even when we can't see the outcome and everyone else thinks this is ridiculous, this makes no sense. If he said something to you, don't be afraid to ask for confirmation, but obey. Simply obey. How many times have we broken our intimacy with the Father because we haven't wanted to do what he's asked us to do? Which really reveals that we want our will more than we want his will. Sometimes I can be afraid of what he's going to say if I go to him in prayer. Sometimes we can run from conviction, which is why we don't want to go to him in prayer. Sometimes I want something so badly, and I believe God's going to say no. I don't even want to go to ask him, because I already have come up with the conclusion that he's going to say no, so I'm going to go out and get what I want which really believes that I believe God is stingy, that he's not a giver of good gifts. And so then when I go and take care of it myself, I actually miss out on getting to know that he's a giver of good gifts. He's about your good. He's trustworthy with your life. You can follow him. In this secret place, he may say, forgive. He may say, leave this relationship, go here, go there. Follow me. Sometimes I've not liked the cost, and so then I pretend I don't hear him. (laughs) But he is good. He is trustworthy. So we must have a proper knowledge of God. Intimacy requires authenticity and humility. It requires obedience. And lastly, intimacy will grow when we allow the broken places of our soul to become opportunities to know him more. And I spoke a little bit of that, about that with my son. But you know, this is actually an area that has transformed my life. Allowing the Father to take the wounded places of my soul, to meet me there in those places. That is where I've come to learn of him as my defender, my deliverer, my vindicator, all sorts of this just goes on and on and on. When I was in my 20s, I remember God used to, he would like start counseling me. He would show me why I was doing what I was doing. And I began to think, wow, he is the best counselor you could ever have. He would show me the deep places of my heart that I could not unravel with my mind. And it triggered something in me. The fact that my life with God can be an adventure. And from that moment on, I I used to go, okay, Lord, who who about you are you going to show me next? What haven't I grasped about you next? And he might say one word about his character that he wants me to know. And so then I would live expecting to see him in different places when I read the word. And he would make himself known to me in those ways. And sometimes it came through pain. Sometimes it came through joys. And then I would feel like I had a grasp on it what he was showing me about himself. And I said, hey, what what next? What are you going to show me next? Then he might say, I'm going to show you that I'm patient. 
one after the other, and life became this adventure to know my father, and I get to do it for the rest of my life. It never stops because he's so vast. So let me tell you, if you want to learn to know your Heavenly Father, let him meet you in the midst of your pain. Let him unpack the wounds that still linger. Those places where you still become triggered. Let him into your soul. Let the light of his glory remove the cobwebs of your self-protection or your controlling behaviors. Let him convict you where we need to become honest with ourselves. You know, we've all experienced loss, pain, neglect, rejection. It would actually be quite, I love hearing people's stories. You know, you see triumphant people who've walked through such difficulty. I always think of Elizabeth Elliot, who I met at Briarcrest, who spoke. Such poised grace. And a few weeks ago, I was reading something in my new pursuit of reading. (laughs) I don't remember what book it was. But it was talking about knowing the riches of God through blessings. And I was like, yes. And then at the same time, my heart was, but you know what? I feel like I've actually become more rich from knowing my God through the suffering that I've gone through. It's like there's both. The beauty of both. I love what Job discovered through his valley season. In the last chapter of Job, this is, we're closing with this, and then we're going to have a worship song. He responded to God, and he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. What was he saying? See, Job was a God-fearer. He loved the Lord. He was faithful to the Lord. He lived in great blessing. He lived in great prosperity. And through that time, he knew God through hearing. Yet after the years of suffering, he had a revelation of God in ways where he was now able to say, but now my eyes see you. Now my eyes see you. Even it's just, I'm just thinking about what we're going through seasonally in the world right now, that it is really an opportunity for people to come to know the Father. Through the difficulty, through the fear, this is an opportunity. And so Lord, we just thank you for, we thank you for your love, your steadfastness, Thank you, Father, that you abound in many measures. Father, I pray that today that you would untether our feet from the things of the world. Where the things of the world have taken our focus and our pursuit off of you and only you, will you cut the cords today in Jesus' name? Thank you for the invitation into the Holy of Holies that we have been granted access. In your name, amen. Amen.